seen these uh, ads in Salesforce that are basically like a banner ad that when you log in, you have this huge banner ad at the top? Yeah, I've seen those. I'm wondering, you know, how much money do you have to spend in order to get an ad-free version of Salesforce? Because, and you know, we're, so we're consultants. We log into lots of different orgs. So we, we see these things more because I think once you clear the ad, it probably doesn't show back up again for that user. But I mean, I just I feel like I'm always clearing it. And it's it's not, you know, like a small ad. It's it's actually wider than what I normally keep my browser. So it's like it's got to be like a twelve hundred or fifteen hundred pixel wide banner. So I have to like ex- maximize my browser the whole way just so I can get to the X because the X is in the top right. Right. So I can close the ad. Yeah, that can be pretty annoying. I mean, it. we probably should clarify that these ads are not like you know, bought in ads to, you know, some other product. It's all Salesforce internal ads. Yeah. So we're, we're paying for Salesforce's, you know, house ads. <laughs> is it wrong for a software company to advertise its own features? And tools I don't know. Under- it's, it's a good question, isn't it? Yeah. Especially if it's clearly something that is, I mean, the reason it has an X on it is because it's annoying and people will want to get it out of their face. It takes up a huge amount of real estate. And honestly, okay, here's a test. What does that ad say? What's it advertising? Usually some cloud feature. No, I'm asking you the one that I'm talking about that's been showing up for the past couple of weeks. What is that? What is that an ad for? Uh, And I I know you've had to X that thing out at least 10 times. I don't read it. I don't either. That's, I don't know what it's for. (laughs) It's probably Dreamforce or some, did you know about service cloud or this or that or something? I just, I see it and it, I just click on it. I close it. But yep. that's true of most ads. I mean, we've we've gotten so conditioned over the years that if we see a banner, chances are we're going to try to close it out. Especially yeah, the more annoying ones that try to stay above the fold. Like every time you scroll, it's there at the bottom covering over text or even YouTube. God, YouTube pisses me off with those because um, it'll be in the video and you have to actually click to exit it because it's hovering over content. Yeah, but you know what? You see those. <laughs> you see those ads. That's the, that's why those work. <laughs> well, I think they like the clicks. I think they like that you click X because they know you saw it. They know you looked at it. I don't know. It, it's a confirmation of you actually seeing that part of the screen, I guess. Right. I, I feel the same way about, um, you know, whenever you opt out of emails, I, there's a part of me that goes, I wonder if I just basically confirmed that this is a real email address. Oh yeah. You're not supposed to, unless it's a company that you know is legit and is, is, has good ethics. You're not supposed to unsubscribe. Because you're confirming to them. You just pinged them and it went to their like confirmation that you, this is still a valid email address and you are and a human is actively checking it. Well, they're about to get a boost in business thing. Cause I think Google, I believe is working on a way for that, not way for a, a feature that whenever you get that type of email, it'll, <clears throat> sorry, it'll, it'll kind of scan your email and look for that unsubscribe link and kind of create a button for you on your email. So that you can just click that button and that unsubscribes you. Um, so yeah, if that's the case, then yeah, they're going to get a lot more business. Mm. But, but anyway, yeah, so, back to our, so our there's, Salesforce there's, there's some setting, right? There's some setting to not show ads, but I guess we're not sure whether that turns off those ads or if it's just like the, the system maintenance messages when you log in. Yeah. I see, know. I want to say that that's the system maintenance. I don't know that it controls those ads. And then I guess the other question is, does this show up for, only administrators or do users also see those ads? Cause every time we log in, we're logging in as an administrator. Yeah. It looks just based on the look of the ad and like the marketing, uh, like effort that looks like went into it. it I bet it that's for all users. It, it might be. I mean, we, we all get ads when we click on the login screen too. There's, you know, that whole kind of side section that's dedicated to advertising. Yeah. Dreamforce or for some reason that one doesn't bother me, me as much. I think it's because I'm, you're not in the application yet at that point. Pay all this money to Salesforce and uh, they still show us ads. That's the way of the future though. I mean, even, even a lot of paid content, you still get ads on. I mean, I I gladly pay for things to get rid of ads, but even then you still get them. Hell, you pay cable and you still get ads. That's true. Although, on the paid channels, you don't, I guess you get tons of house ads, right? Like even on HBO, well, you get a lot of hidden advertising too. Well, that's true. What do they call it? Um, native advertising. Yeah. That's the, that's the, that's the new evil advertising. Um, okay. So I have a face palm of the week. This is kind of hard to explain. We need a Homer Simpson. Don't 
I know. We, yeah, <laughs> we don't have anything I'll, I'll do be, we? I'll be Homer for now. Yeah. There you go. Um, so I've been doing a lot of work with the communities feature, which is kind of just portals 2.0. I'm not even sure. I just think they wanted to rebrand it from portals 2. to communities. 0. I'm not, not even sure there's that much of a difference. I think, I think not to sidetrack, but I think things like web 2.0 and all that killed things being called 2.0 for me. Well, no, we had, uh, we had sale, like sales cloud 2.0. I don't even know what version did they, I think they actually stopped doing versions with us, but remember when they had sales cloud 2.0 and service cloud 2.0, I guess it got so overused. It's like, this is generation X 2.0 or something. It's just, I don't know. It just sounds horrible to me to hear 2.0. And did you notice that we never went past 2.0? No, we never, I don't know. It's <laughs> just like, that's where everything went to Companies die. Used to, I, they're always trying to find ways to differentiate their marketing terms. I mean, 1.2.0 was it. That was the word to use. And now it's one. Everything has to be one. If you noticed all the different things that are popping up as one, I said it was going to become a trend and it is. Oh yeah. It's big time. And the, you know, before that was cloud and it was, you know, it's just. All right. So back to my face palm. Okay. So it's communities. Um, so for, Okay. Just not specific to communities, just Salesforce in general since the beginning of time. When you log into Salesforce, they set a cookie or several cookies on your browser, but one of them is SID, which is your session ID. So that's used for, for subsequent requests, requests to just uh, authenticate you. But it's also, you can just grab it and use it uh, like in with the SOAP API or now even with the REST API. I think if you include it in the uh, authorization um, OAuth header. It gets you right into the REST API without having to do any actual OAuth stuff. <clears throat> um, but in communities, it's something is something is up. So uh, communities is a little weird in that uh, it everything served from the same domain. Unlike like when you use Visual Force and Salesforce, the Visual Force comes from a different domain, which I guess is an iframe, right? They have an iframe, and then the Visual Force is served from, from within an iframe from a different domain. In communities, it looks like that everything comes from the same domain and there is, there's a way to get, if you want, like say to run some JavaScript that gets a chance to run on every page, you can, you can just embed it or link it from your header. So in communities, you have a, you know, a header and a global header and footer. And, um, so you can, you know, you can get your JavaScript to run that way. All right. So in communities, um, the, if you use that, if you grab that session, that SID cookie, and you use that to in JavaScript or presumably any, anything to make like a SOAP or a REST call, that session ID does not work. And it's weird because that session ID looks like any other valid session ID, like the format's exactly the same. Uh, even the org ID at the beginning of it is the same, which makes sense. Right. But it, it just doesn't work. Um, and it's weird because if you use it like with the SOAP API, you don't get the normal, like this session ID is invalid or expired. You get a, a message that says that the session ID is not valid for this API. So there's clearly there's something, either it's a, a limited session ID that is only used, it, it's not, you know, not to be used for APIs or something. Something's going on there. Well, you know, you had mentioned something earlier when you're describing the story about everything on communities being on its own domain. And I wonder if that session ID is domain specific. And since the API is probably on a different domain, it's not going to allow that session. Could be. Although ultimately the way I got it to work, it is going as far as I can tell to that same domain it comes from. Like that's where my, so I don't, I don't think that's what it is. So let me, I guess let me get to the conclusion and I'll address that. Um, Fine. I won't solve your problems. Yeah. Done. <laughs> <laughs> but this is just like another example of like, the, you know, Salesforce is great at constantly violating like the principle of least surprise. Like we planned so much around being able to make rest and soap calls via JavaScript using the session ID. Why, what in the world would make me think that all of a sudden after 10 years of using Salesforce's API, this session ID is suddenly going to not work. And these are big projects, you know, and so what, but, so what I did was I, I found out one thing. So, you know, in, in visual force, there's the, the global variable like dot API and you can do uh, or it's our dollar API. So you can do dollar API dot session ID. Right. And that's how you would embed the session ID into like JavaScript in a visual force page. What I noticed was that gives me a different session ID than the one in the cookie. 
So again, kind of validating that something is different about this cookie. And I noticed that the one I get from the visual force global variable, that one works. I can use that one to call into the SOAP API, the REST API, whatever. So, and because that, and so that I was able to eliminate that, you know, that the, the possibility that community is just like, just can't access API doesn't work. Well, it does if you use visual force, but, but again, because I'm using this in, in the, in an HTML header and they don't let you use visual force for that header, which I don't know why it's like the most native technology Salesforce has visual force. They provided us. You can't use a visual force page in your header. It can only be HTML. So you don't have the dollar API global. You can't get that session ID. Right. So what I did was I created a visual force page and had the MIME type be text plain. And all it does is return that the value of that dollar API session ID global. And in this JavaScript, the first thing it does is it makes an Ajax call to that page, just grabs the page value, which is just the session ID, and uses that to call into the uh, I tried the SOAP and REST API. They both, it works on both. So I was able to solve it. I mean, so, you know, the downside is I've got, you know, an extra HTTP request. Um, I think what I'll do, though, is I'll probably, uh, when that first, if I'll probably have a check that if I've already uh, grabbed that, that session ID, I won't make that call again. I'll probably have to store it in a, um, in a different cookie. But I'll, I'll have a check for that cookie value. And if it's there, it uses it. If not, then it, it'll it'll uh, call this visual force page, but yeah, that was my solution. So at least I was able to, again, you know, like I was saying earlier, being, being a successful Salesforce developer is all about just discovering and mastering these terrible, terrible hacks that you have to do. Yeah. As long as you're, as long as you're living within the tool set of what it was originally designed for, then yeah, it's all point and click. But once you wanted to start doing something custom, we've talked before that, you know, the the idea that or even the advertising at Dreamforce where they show the guys sitting up in the cloud just dreaming and building anything they want, you know, that, that takes quite a bit of work to get around some of the just limitations that you have built into it. You have to get creative. Yeah. Well, and that, that I think that's letting them off the hook. I mean, it's not you have to get creative with anything that's worth anything in, in life. But this is not this is not getting creative. This is, you know, you've got this. Mickey Mouse system that's designed for I don't know who former VB developers and it, you're saying that word like I it's know. an insult. Former it v- is. I was a former DB do a VB developer. You're insulting me. Well, you're insulting me, sir. Maybe that <laughs> I challenge the. <laughs> if, I, if I had a glove, I'd smack you in the face right yeah. now. <laughs> you have insulted me, sir. Now, good day. Oh. <laughs> but I mean, you just run into. I mean, it, you know, it gets. It's not an open platform. It's. You get, well, you get I, all these roadblocks. It's like road, you know, roadblock city. I mean, and you just have to figure out these nasty ways and they're, they're nasty, unsupported ways that are going to break. And you have to tell the client, Hey, I can do this. Here's an option. And, but it's, it's really subject to breakage and it, I will guarantee you that at some point this is going to break and they have no option. They've already invested. I mean, Salesforce is expensive and you can't migrate off of it. I think that's the main, I think that's the main issue here though. It's, it's not so much that the platform can't do it. I mean, it's, I mean, that's an issue in of itself, but I mean, with anything, with any tool or application we're building, we have to get creative. We, we can uh, kind of kit together different technologies to try and accomplish something in a way that's great for users and, and easy to maintain. But I think the, what comes down to it is the way Salesforce sells and advertises their product as a platform that you can dream up and build anything and people walk away from events like like Dreamforce or even just their local events that they have thinking that it can do everything and even their sales teams which I don't blame them they're trying to make a buck but even they even they're just like oh yeah it can do that it can do this it can do that and if it can't do that then you can customize it just hire a developer and so we come in to do it and we realize well we're going to have to get really creative here and you may have to host this to be able to do this or you may have to actually implement this or you might have to be okay with this kind of hackish trade-off that I'm about to implement um and so it just kind of makes that expectation management difficult when someone signed off on it put a budget on a on a on a project and said I thought we could do this and again and we did have I- to be the ones to say well you can or you can't it's a time and money problem and the other problem here with this, and I'm not sure if I already mentioned this or not, or if it was, this was in our earlier talk, but it's, it's that Salesforce is always violating the principle of least surprise. Like who would have ever thought that if you're logged in through a community, that session ID you get, cause I actually checked to make sure that you do get the SID cookie. I saw it looked great. Good to go. 
now we're in the middle of the project, we discover it doesn't work. I mean, that is totally pulling the rug out from under you. And Salesforce just does this all the time. You hit these things all the time. That's why on the, what's the other podcast? The uh, code coverage. You know, they're, they're every week. They or every time they do an episode that one of their closing things is what's the, what's the worst hack you've ever done? Because Salesforce is it's truly, it's all about understand, you know, understanding what these possible hacks are or just, you know, piecing them together to, to form this kind of terrible solution. What is your worst hack you've ever done? This one I'm doing right now is pretty bad. So the, so, um, there's one thing I'm doing. In fact, one thing that I had to load, um, via JavaScript, via this header, this HTML header is I'm modifying this built-in dropdown, the black dropdown menu that's at the top of the page on communities. And when you click my settings, uh, it opens up a, the settings dialog pop-up, but, the in, but that is served from an iframe that's on a different domain, right? And mm-hmm. what I need to be able to do is there's an email settings button on that dialog, and I need to be able to overwrite that. When you click that, I need to, to, to you know, load my page and not, not what it does by default. And so I'm digging into this iframe. Now, luckily, uh, I'm trying to think, is that served from the same domain? It must be. It is from the same domain. So that was my only saving grace. Uh, the document ready event doesn't seem to work on iframes. So I couldn't get notification of when the document was ready for me to a- attach event handlers and things. So I'm actually doing some polling. I think I pull like about probably every couple hundred milliseconds to see if the button I'm looking for is there. If it is, then I have to detach Salesforce's JavaScript handler and attach mine. I mean, it's, it's really terrible. So this is pretty bad, but that's what I have to do to get. And this is something where, you know, this client wanted to completely replace the email settings. And this is just not a good communities is not a, if, if you, ha, if you have all those, if, if you don't like communities out of the box, then you should not use it because it's really not that customizable. We talked earlier about how, when you're setting up a community, the actual setup for a community is so simple. It's just a pop-up dialogue in, in Salesforce setup, right? I mean, this is really a simple tool. I hope they don't charge much for it because it's it's very simple. It's just it's just repurposing existing Salesforce functionality, and just with just limits on it, like restrictions. So there's not that much to it. But yeah, if you don't if you don't like the way it works, if you don't like the fact that every user is going to get a my settings and they can change their own email settings and they can all that, then uh, you shouldn't use you shouldn't use communities. Use something else. Use you know. Uh, sites, not site.com, but sites and just have it all custom visual force. But yeah, so this is, this has got some pretty nasty hacks and move on to financial stuff or you have other topics before we get, cause that's going to, that's going to take us probably to the end of the podcast. So let's, let's save that one for last. So we can do some news updates. I have a couple. Okay. Um, wait, is it, this is, so this is some new information. New information. I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. <laughs> that's good. I like that one. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice addition. Yeah. Um, you know what that's from, right? I recognize the voice. I don't remember where it's, it's from. Uh, Albert, what's his name? Albert Brooks. Um, is it Albert that, Brooks? That is uh, the Big Lebowski. Yeah. That was uh, the dude. That's right? not Albert yeah. Brooks, though, is it? Well, what's his that's, name? That's, um, uh, he's in that. Uh, well, he's in a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, it's, that's not Albert Brooks, is it? No, um, no, it's um. I know who it is. I I know the face. Jeff Bridges. Jeff Sorry. Bridges. There you go. Yep, that's him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hate myself for not knowing that. All right. So updates. I got a recent update on Coin. I should be able to get my new credit card soon. Um, they're actually starting mm. to release some, the, I, the way it's going to work is kind of weird that I believe it when I see it, you're going to be able to get it. You'll be able to download your app to your phone for the, sometime the end of this month, August. Um, and then within that, that'll have your shipping information. It do, it's not supposed to affect when you get it. So it's not like you, you have to go out and download the app really quick and register and, and get it. Um, you'll have, you'll actually be able to keep your place in line to basically know, and it'll just tell you when you're, you're supposed to get your card. So I think within September I should be able to get it and we'll try it out and see how that works. I know you're skeptical because, because you think, you think um, companies like visa and stuff will crack down on it. Well, I mean, it's just been so long that I'm skeptical. They're going to be able to deliver and they won't get shut down, but yeah, we said it before. I, I think 
I, I would like to think they got people that have covered the legal aspects of it. And now it's just a matter of whether or not it works really well. I guess my biggest fear is that it's a button to switch, which card you're using. There doesn't seem to be any other security around it other than that. Like it's not like a fingerprint or anything like that. So could someone accidentally switch the card when they're, char- you know, swiping it to a different card? And now my charge is on my business visa and not my personal visa. Also, what if they have, what if it's one of these people that has um, a, a, a reader? just designed to steal your credit card number. They can just cycle through every card. And just read yeah. That's a concern as well. <laughs> yeah, that's Slightly. <laughs> but it'll be interesting to see what kind of options the apps have. Maybe, maybe I can set the card through the app cause it is Bluetooth enabled. Um, so maybe I can set it and lock it. And that's the only card number that can be used at that point in time. I don't know, but that would cut into the convenience factor of it that I'd have to get my phone out, lock down the card and then hand it to them. Yeah, but at least at least you'd have a cool electric credit card, though, wouldn't it? (laughs) And you know what the funny part is? I'm still going to carry my other cards because what if that thing doesn't work? (laughs) I have to use my other card, or 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 the the business says I don't recognize this as a regular card. I don't even see a Visa logo on it. You can't use this here. It's probably fake, and so I'll have to have my other card just to make sure. Well, yeah, because because the people who accept credit cards they're bound by terms and conditions as well, so they're not. I'm sure they're probably not supposed to accept a visa card that doesn't, that doesn't have like the proper logo and all that stuff. Yeah. I don't know. So we'll see, we'll see how that works out and hopefully it doesn't cripple me financially with someone stealing all my money. (laughs) I laugh, but I'll be so devastated if, if my, (laughs) my need for geeky gadgets just kills me financially. I hope you're, I hope you have at least one bank account that's not hooked up to a debit card. Uh, yes, I do. I mean, no, I don't. That's a black hole, man. Shut up. Yeah. Exposing all my finances here. You want to know where the location of my safe is? Uh, All right. Uh, So moving on. Hang on a second. So moving on. So moving on from that. um, We talked about squid a few times and um, they're getting ready to release their summer 14. Um, They did a webinar on that today. Um, It was the webinar was actually not bad. They they got into details on some of the features, not all the features, but they got into some of the more major ones, things like, you know, the new actions, functionality and things. And I've had a chance to play with it too in a, in a sandbox environment. Um, all the changes are actually really nice. Um, the, the whole kind of action structure. So now you can actually create these actions with a button and things like that. It's actually really nice and really flexible. Um, you're able to kind of chain together a bunch of different actions, you know, like save a model, requery this, put a message up on the screen, um, close a pop-up. You can do all those things with just a point-and-click interface where before I was kind of hand-coding a bunch of stuff in JavaScript to do that. Um, you know, beyond the normal save, I would have to kind of do some things afterwards, and this kind of fixes that. Hmm. Um, it's actually a nice bit of a hook into certain routines that I think I wish Salesforce would, would kind of implement something similar, but we have squid for that. So Um, I got some more context on how the deployments work. Uh, I think it's not bad considering they don't have access to, you know, all the backend metadata tools. It's, you know, you would expect from Salesforce to provide for things like that, but essentially because it is data, they'll give you a way to kind of package up the pages. It kind of, create some static resources in the background for you so that you can include those in chain sets, which is kind of nice because now you have your chain set functionality to kind of deploy it. Um, my only concern with that is deploying with chain sets and things like that will cause all unit tests to run. So you're kind of just waiting needlessly for that stuff to go. Um, cause it's not really why run the unit tests if it's not going to affect your current, you know, changes, but so how, how are you doing it through chain sets? Like what, what metadata type is it? It's not a metadata type. What it does is it, you tell it which pages you want to package up and it'll create a static resource in the system for you. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. And that static resource you can then include in a, you know, deployment either, you know, with any deployment pretty much that supports that. Hacks upon hacks. (laughs) (laughs) But at least it's an easy way um, so that the user doesn't have to do it. I mean, for I mean, for me, I know how to deploy it. I can do the copy and pasting. I can do all that stuff. But this at least makes it a little easier to conclude in a chain set and and all those kind of things. So if you're kind of if you have a certain process you've been used to in terms of deploying things in Salesforce, you can kind of work that in with this. And then, of course, once you have the static resource, then you kind of just import it into your environment. So you still have to unpack it. It's not like it's automatic, but at least the transport mechanism is a little more automated. 
Um, and then they did say that they have some some more changes coming, um, stuff that they're really excited about that they'll talk about at Dreamforce. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll know more then. I kind of wish I was going to Dreamforce now. Uh, I think they'll have a they'll probably more than likely definitely have a booth set up there. At least they'll have some representation there that you can go and you know talk to them. Probably more than likely, definitely. <laughs> well, th- they ended the webinar with, hey, we'll be at Dreamforce, come by and see us and say hi. So I'm assuming that means a booth, but, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that'd be nice if they, if they could get a booth. I'm sure they would. I'm sure they'll probably have something set up in that developer area that they set up, which isn't as big as the, the main floor area, um, unless it's expanded since, what, I think I went two years ago. Um, but it's still it's still a good place to go and meet meet other people, ISVs and things like that that are working on developer stuff. Yep. Hey, can I go back to the communities thing for a second? No, we're done. No I more got, communities. I got, I got one good. I got a good nugget here that might help someone in the future. All right. So since this you're another, being helpful, this is another like violation of the principle of least surprise. You said you're um, going to be helpful. It is. This is helpful. Um. So the way static resources work in Salesforce, right, is that every time you create or create or update a stack, well, actually, anytime you request a static resource from Salesforce, that actually goes through some network of CDNs, right? <clears throat> and once you request that resource, if you ever requested that same resource again, the CDN's always going to give you back that same version, even though it's been updated. That's why you always have to use like the URL for function in VisualForce. So mm-hmm. it generates an, like a cache busting URL every time um, because Salesforce looks at when you last updated that static resource and basically just puts like a date string in the URL. You've probably seen that's just a bunch of numbers. Mm-hmm. Well, in communities, again, you've got this HTML header and footer, which you can, and I'm loading all kinds of CSS into that, right? CSS, that's a normal web technology. You, you, you probably use CSS in a website, right? In a web application? No, what is this technology called <laughs> CSS? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Cascading style sheets. Oh. Um, isn't it weird that the cascade is like the least interesting feature of CSS anyway? Uh, so and, and so I've got, I've got CSS, I've got JavaScript, I've got images, all kinds of stuff that I'm got in a static resource bundle. But because this is an HTML page and not visual force, I have no way to generate the cache busting URL. And so for the longest time, like I was just sitting there for like an hour or two trying to figure out like what, like I couldn't get any of my changes to happen. And then I was, so I was pulled out like, using curl to like access and figure out what was going on. And it just turns out that, you know, so when your browser requests a resource, it, it sends the if modified sense header, or maybe it's an E tag. I can't remember. And, but the CDN is always going to say, no, it hasn't changed, even though you have changed it, unless you're using that, you know, a cache busting URL. Um, so what I had to do was anytime. So, you know, I've got like this, I've got, um, like a uh, grunt watch running. And so anytime I change anything that goes in, so I've, I got a static resource zip file. It's all, everything goes into one zip file, but anytime I change anything that goes into that SAS, CSS, JavaScript, coffee script, uh, images, what, right. Anything that goes into that grunt watch will number one, it rebuilds this, the, my static resource and deploys it, but it also goes through and anywhere that I'm in like HTML, not visual force, but in HTML, I'm referencing a, a static resource. It'll go in there and, uh, update the URL with a basically with a, the the cache busting URL, and then it has to save that into Salesforce as well. That's interesting. <clears throat> it's I mean, it's, I think that CDN issue is mainly an affliction of us developers since we're rapidly kind of changing these things. But once it's once it's stabilized, it's not that big of an issue. <laughs> well, again, and this gets back to when you do Salesforce development, you can't do any development on your machine. It is, it has to be on the cloud. I mean, you can't run anything unless it's on Salesforce's infrastructure. So yeah, in order for me to test a small CSS change, I've got to deploy it into Salesforce and then Salesforce sends it out to its CDNs or it gets, or it gets pulled into the CDN when I request it. Right. Or you end up there's, doing there's what just I no do, way to do local development. Doing way too much inline JavaScript and CSS than I'd like just cause I, don't want to and keep. I'm really avoiding that. And I'm, you know, I set high standards on these projects and I think the other developers, I think they probably think I'm a pain in the ass, but I'm like, listen, I don't want to see a bunch of ugly freaking JavaScript or CSS just all littered throughout your pages. Yeah. No, having that degree of quality and that standard is definitely, definitely a plus. I mean, I, I, I fight against that every so often, sometimes with a client who doesn't understand why I have more classes than or even why I have a class instead of putting all my code in a trigger 
or you know other developers that just want to go in there and just put a bunch of stuff in a trigger or put one big long method or one like big long class and I try to explain to them the idea of abstraction and layering and testability and all that kind of stuff. It, it's it's an ongoing battle, but yeah, someone's got to kind of be there to say, "Hey, we need to do better." I saw. I once had to have like a two hour conversation with a CTO of a company uh, that I was doing some work for. A two hour conversation justifying essentially the single responsibility principle. Like the big thing was he just couldn't understand why I would not want to have my data, my, my persistence, you know, um, code and logic mixed in with the business logic. He thought by, by having like separate, like, you know, like repository classes or data access classes separate from like, you know, like say, I don't remember what it was at the time, but just say it was like a controller, like a web, you know, HTTP controller. He thought I was making it way too complicated and I was doing it on purpose so that, you know, I guess I, it would uh, make me more valuable or something. And I was just trying to explain to him, I'm like, this is, this is really basic software engineering. This is, you know, single responsibility. It makes, it's more testable. It's actually easier to understand. You do end up with more classes, but each class does one thing and does it well and, and can be tested in isolation from other layers. And he just didn't get it. And at the end of the conversation, I told him, I was like, listen, this is the, this is really the only way I know how to build systems. And he said, well, he said, I'll just, he said, I'll defer to you. Is that where he ended? I'm like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm fine with that. I mean, if he's going to defer to me, but. Well, in terms of news, um, the only other one I have, I think that that's probably worth mentioning is go instant. Have you heard of, heard about go instant at all? Sounds familiar, but I don't know much about it. I, th- I think I mentioned it once before in a, in a podcast and it was basically a, I bl- it was an acquisition by Salesforce a while ago that, and it basically served the purpose of real-time communication. So you know, storing and retrieving data real time and those kind of things. And I think it's kind of evolved to try and try and, I guess, rather than just be the communication mechanism that it would also try to move into the world of, you know, providing instant video and instant chatting capabilities and all those kind of things. Um, but it is actually being shut down. Um, it'll, it'll be discontinued this month, August 31st. So who, who, why would, how would that affect? I don't even understand. How would this affect me? Who, who uses this? Um, I really don't know, but I, it was an acquisition. I think it was an interesting acquisition just because it provided that instant kind of communication mechanism. And for Salesforce, you, you kind of have some sense of that with the new kind of feed technology and things like that. But the interesting thing about this is that on the blog post where they announced that they're going to discontinue it, um, they said they're going to they are discontinuing it, but they're, they're going to focus more on the Salesforce SOS um, feature, cloud, I guess. I'm not sure what it is. Um, and that essentially, if you haven't heard about that, is a service. It's, it's a service similar to Amazon um, Mayday, I think is what they call it. Hmm. Do you know which feature I'm talking about? Where no. You, well, if you haven't seen this, there's those commercials with a guy that's kind of at a party and he can't do something on his tablet. I guess he wants to show everything on, on this TV and he clicks a button and that some, some person live shows up on video and, and starts talking to him and showing him what to do. Oh, that's the, the instant help thing that you can get on like your, I guess your Kindle or something or. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you can get that on the, on the tablets and all that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of. That's kind of what this service is being compared to as is, is kind of a global way for you to implement this type of feature um, in your service cloud offering. So, you, you know, you have service cloud and you want to be able to, you know, chat with people on your website or provide ways for them to kind of communicate with you directly. This is the technology that they're, they're going to do it. So I have a feeling we're definitely going to see this at Dreamforce. Um, it's in private beta right now. So only a handful of companies are kind of using it or testing it out. Um, just about every year at Dreamforce, we get some kind of service demonstration with someone using video or an iPhone or something to help support a client. And I think this will definitely be there in the presentation. Well, did, you, did you hear the big news? I think it was a couple of weeks ago. It was, I guess, desk.com, which I don't use. But they, they introduced a revolutionary concept, John. Revolutionary. I'm getting the good stuff. Su- support by, or whatever by video. Have you ever heard of this thing called video on the, on the interwebs? This is a new thing. And on, if you're a de- if you use desk.com, now you can support your customers with videos, brand new technology, this thing called MPEG. And you can stream. This Wait, thing where called are you getting streaming. this information from? No, I'm serious. Look, just look <laughs> desk.com announced 
that they are now supporting a video. It's a big thing. But we've seen demonstrations with video and phones and FaceTime. And uh, is it more just a more of a native no, it's not even feature? Real time. It's just like pre- prepped, you know, prepped videos. You can, oh. So when, when someone clicks help and they want to know how to learn some part of your system, just like say in Salesforce. Uh, does it, does it they, link to a YouTube channel? It probably, that's <laughs> probably just embedded YouTube anyway. But no, I, I think videos are a great way to help customers. I mean, it's a lot of times it's, it's a visual. They need to be able to see kind of what you're doing. Those videos tend to get outdated though, as you add features and things, but that's as long as you're able to kind of maintain them and, and keep that community alive. I, th- I think that's the danger with, Salesforce and some of the things that they advertise that they can do is a lot of companies get really excited about them and they're all on board, like the idea exchange or, you know, the new portals and the communities and all your customers and vendors are communicating and chatter and social media. It's all awesome and phenomenal. (laughs) However, it takes commitment. It takes work. It takes management. It takes resources to implement it and keep those communities going and alive and monitored and maintained. A lot of people think they'll just flip the switch and all of a sudden they'll have people doing this. Um, so, you know, things like this service SOS, I think it's great. It's a great offering. It's a good technology to have, but I, I hope people will look past the hype and understand what it takes to actually implement it and maintain it and all those kind of things. The technology's there, but you, you do need people to kind of maintain it and, and manage it. It's awesome. <laughs> Communities are hard. I mean, they do take, um, a lot of times they take a lot of effort to get them off the ground. And then once they are off the ground, you actually have engagement, just, um, keeping them efficient and helpful and clean and signal to noise pretty good. Um, you know, keep the jerks out and all that stuff. Yeah. Kind of like, well, I mean, social media is a good example. I mean, you have so many PR nightmares right now with someone posting something to the wrong account where they meant to go in their personal, but they happen to be the guy that owns the keys to the company Twitter account or something. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can also put yourself in, in kind of a PR nightmare by if you're not maintaining those communities and watching what, what your own people are saying and doing and how they're responding. We had that huge incident with, um, oh, who was it that started this whole support war? Um, it was some cable company where the guy was on the phone and, couldn't cancel a service or something. I don't remember. <laughs> well, that was Ryan block uh, yeah. with uh, Comcast, which yeah. is my soon to be internet provider because they bought time Warner. So I'm not excited about it all. If they, if they jack with my service or if they put bandwidth caps on, which they're probably going to do because they have them and time Warner doesn't, um, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'll seriously consider switching to my only other option. Those AT and T. So we'll see. I would I, I would say that examples like that show that it's not the technology it's it's you know your processes your operations the technology should help you reach more people but that's not it's not going to make you a better service customer service provider it could make you worse right absolutely could it, could it could expose cultural you, issues you yeah, have yeah it could expose you even more so if you've got some skeletons in your closet you know things that aren't just fully fledged out or maintained or managed well you know increasing your audience is just going to make those come out even more they were going to be far more evident. Yep. All right. You ready to get to the finance stuff? Uh, you're going to bore me with numbers, aren't you? Uh, it could be considered boring. And, you know, just, <laughs> just, just got to get really excited. Like the, who's the guy that's on um, YouTube that screams or no, he's not on YouTube. What is his name? The guy that's always screaming and yelling about stock prices and things. Oh, Kramer. Kramer. There you go. You yeah, could be like Kramer. He, <clears throat> you could be our Kramer. It's funny because like. The so, stock Kramer, not the, not the other Kramer who. What's this Jim? Jim Kramer. The funny thing is, is he, he uh, is known, well known amongst the investment community for being a shill for Salesforce. Like just reading any of the investor forums and stuff. I mean, it's, it's so obvious he is a shill for Salesforce. Um, Anyway, that's not what I want to talk about. So I guess my disclaimer here is, you know, I'm about to talk about stuff that I have, that I really have no business talking about. I have no expertise here, <laughs> but it's still really interesting. Um, and, you know, we, we always like to look at Salesforce's financial health and especially considering that so many companies have made investments in Salesforce to the level that if Salesforce went away or substantially had to change for some reason, 
that they would be seriously screwed. So it's, it's important to follow Salesforce's, you know, financial health and just see how they're doing. So uh, it's important to us. We make our living with Salesforce. So as we're recording Mm -hmm. this podcast, I I, I left you a little gem for your editing to find. Okay. (laughs) So as we're recording this, Salesforce just released their Q2, their, their results for their Q2, which is kind of Q3, I guess. Um, and they were expected to narrow losses a little bit. So I think they did. Um, yeah, they, so they earnings per share, they beat the street by a cent. So that that's probably exactly where they thought they'd come in, Re- beat revenue by 30 million, which is, a, you know, by probably a couple of percentage points. So that's probably right where they thought they'd come in. Um, gap loss per share was, uh, yeah, was, uh, 10 cents. And the, again, the diluted non-gap earnings per share, which Salesforce always likes to talk about is their non-gap. It was, it actually, um, made 13 cents a share. Um, they're still expected to, I think by the end of the year to have lost like 50, around 40 to 50 cents a share, um, gap. And for people who don't know, uh, gap is just like accepted accounting principles, which basically includes accounting practices. Yeah. So there's, there's several differences between, you know, gap, uh, gap earnings and non-gap earnings. Um, gap requires that you, you know, if you're diluting your stock or all that kind of stuff that, that actually you're, you're lowering the value of your company. So they require that you actually consider that, which makes sense. Um, But I need to pull this article up. So I was reading this article. I think it was on, um, what's that site? Seeking Alpha. That, it, was, it was really interesting. They just had a, a lot of stuff about Salesforce's stock and just what's going on. Because, uh, you know, they've been basically losing money for I don't know how long now. Um, but their stock keeps going up. They, they, you know, mainly because they, they've had just such solid revenue growth. I mean, the revenue growth is, you know, if you, I saw this one article talking about how if you actually plotted it out, their re- the revenue almost looks too perfect. It is a perfect linear line. Um, and, and it has been, line. it has been for like seven years and yeah. it's just, it's, it looks almost impossible. So in fact, there's other, you can go read them out there. There's really interesting articles about is, is Salesforce fudging the revenue numbers. It, it looks that perfect. But the summary here is that, um, I would doubt it, they're fudging the revenue numbers. I, I just think they have some very enthusiastic analysts on their side. If, well, that's the other thing. So that's an interesting point. But so the summary of this thing is, you know, the Salesforce Salesforce's common stock is highly overvalued. Um, public investors should follow the lead of management and smart institutional money and sell their shares. And what they're talking about is that Salesforce management has been selling lots. In fact, Mark is on this, like an automated plan that sells 20,000 shares a day. So he's literally selling a million dollars a day worth of Salesforce stock every single, every trading day. Um, but that is scheduled. So it's, it's not like it's in reaction it's, to something. It's schedule. Well, it's not, it's not in reaction to anything immediate, right? It's, it's not, not an it, insider trade or anything like that. Yeah. But if he, but if he thought that stock was going to be, you know, a hundred in the next year, he probably wouldn't be selling 20,000 shares a day. So it's yeah, pretty but interesting. He, he, I mean, there's some awareness there of the optics of him of selling. So I'm, I'm not, I don't think he's, I just think it's just a way for him to generate some income. I don't think it's a matter of anything wrong with Salesforce in the immediate future. Yeah. I mean, I I don't disagree with that. I have no basis to disagree with that. And in fact, I think, so he's this year, he's sold, he sold uh, like 20 million, which is like a percent of his stock in Salesforce, $20 million worth. I mean, he still has basically like $2 billion in Salesforce stock. Um, and then traders and speculative money should follow the lead of investment bankers and buy puts or sell stock short. In fact, Salesforce right now is like the 18th most shorted stock in the S and P. So there's, I guess that means that there's just not very much confidence. There's not very much support of the the current stock price, but this, this article talks, it actually um, references a few other articles. And so it's kind of like a summary or like a meta article, but it's talking about how one of these uses this Altman Z test uh, to show that absent the high flying stock price, Salesforce scores deep in the zone when company uh, where companies are highly likely to file for chapter 11 bankruptcy. So you take all these factors into place and based on how Salesforce measures on this test, it shows them heading towards chapter 11 bankruptcy, which kind of, 
would seem crazy, but maybe not so crazy because again, they've been, they've been losing money like every quarter for a long time now. And again, if you're talking about actual gap money, so really kind of more real money. Yeah. So that's definitely, um, that's definitely based on the gap numbers minus, which doesn't exclude all the acquisitions and things they've been doing. Exactly. Yeah. To get, it requires an account all those. And, and what's interesting, if you, if you, if you look at cumulatively how much money they've lost over the past in like seven or eight years, it's like almost a billion dollars. You know, they were on such a meteoric revenue rise that it, it seems crazy to talk about bankruptcy, but I don't know, maybe not. Anyway, this Altman Z test puts it in the bankruptcy category. Um, so it says this shows how, how overvalued their stock is. Um, uh, let's see the weighing machine, uh, brilliantly and in a fun literary way summarizes the motivation of wall street analysts in pushing CRM stock, the, that's Salesforce ticker CRM, uh, thus explaining it, at least in part, why it's overvalued. Um, this other guy employs a thesis and catalyst approach to form an actionable course for investors to sell or to short Salesforce. Um, so Salesforce earnings are contentious. The company reports gap earnings, um, which, uh, are the actual earnings of the continuing public uh, shareholders because it's, re- it's required for them to p- report that by the force of law. But Salesforce prefers and in, uh, investors concentrate instead on pro forma results, which remains what we were just talking about. So, so non-GAAP doesn't include stock-based compensation. So that's considered free amortization of purchase intangibles, amortization of debt discount, uh, gains and losses on conversion of debt and income tax effects and adjustments. So things that actually, again, these are all real things and, well, yeah, so these are real expenses borne by shareholders directly on the balance sheet or through dilution of their ownership. So Salesforce, these are mostly uh, recurring items as well. All those, like, they have the, you know, just on a recurring basis. So discarding them is worse than foolish. Um, and this guy asks, well, you know, why is adjusted operating profit, excluding stock, co- stock compensation, the right metric onto which evaluate Salesforce or any other company? The answer is that we know it's not. Um, Salesforce has reported pro forma profits uh, quarter after quarter, Yet the current consolidated balance sheet shows an accumulated deficit of uh, 440 million. So that's their ongoing deficit is 440 million, right? I think that's what that means. Um, yeah, that's. Pro- I mean, so, so what does that mean, though? I mean, is that that's just that's out of all the acquisitions and everything that they've put in that they've. I mean, I, I really yeah, think. When, that, yeah, just when you add everything up, when you add, I mean, yes, Salesforce they have five billion dollars in revenue, right? Yeah. But the bottom line is when you include you know the cash they're spending. And also the, <laughs> the stock you, options. Yeah. The, the stock options and all this other stuff, it, it, you know, which includes dilution of share price and all that. It, it actually is costing, they're actually losing, you know, this $450 million, I guess a quarter. I'm not sure. Again, I, 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 don't, know. I don't know if that'd be a annually or a quarter, but well, I mean, I mean, essentially, I mean, I mean, we know that Salesforce is focused on growth, not profitability right now. It, it with that revenue, if they were to stop acquisitions and they were to stop, you know, their growth and just let a year play out, how much, how profitable do you think they'd be? But that's a, that's the thing is they're concerned that they, they would not be like they, they have to keep investing this much. And and the one thing that you and I talked about a few months ago was when you, you, if you look at the percentage that they're having to spend on selling and marketing, that percentage is going up. So they're actually having to spend more money I mean, yes, sales are going up, but those sales are getting more and more expensive. So that's not a good sign. Yeah, so dividends and return of capital through stock buybacks come from gap earnings. Pro forma gets you nothing. Uh, Gap earnings are the proper measure for an investor. Um, Let's see. Let's see. Uh, Salesforce reported expect to lose 49 to 47 cents. This this was all written right before before Mm -hmm. the quarter. Right, but nothing, but this... So the, the results that came out today are, are pretty much in line with expectations. So it didn't really change anything. Well, I did notice that because I, I, I checked the stock ticker and I noticed that it, it kind of went down right before the close of the day. It, it went down a few points. And then after the close, it, it went it went up a few points as well. So I'm, I'm wondering if that was everyone expected them to be, you know, kind of miss their numbers and maybe it looked better than it than they thought. Yeah. And there's this, you know, there's the game that I guess most of these companies play where they, they give guidance that's a little bit under what they actually expect to have happen so that it's there. Everyone's always, you know, happily surprised that they came in above what they expected. But the point this thing is making though, is like, there's these different numbers, but Salesforce has convinced the investment community. Really, they've convinced them to look at 
this non-gap earnings instead of gap earnings, which is what which is what they're saying. That's why um, uh, this con- this confusion contributes to a higher stock price than they would otherwise obtain. And in fact, if you look at if you're looking at gap, and this is I'm kind of just jumping way ahead, but basically they're, what they're saying is Salesforce is actually worth about fifteen dollars a share, and right now they're trading at what is it fifty six or something like that. Yeah, so if you let the numbers played out and you looked at it, everything just very logically, you would the valuation would be at fifteen dollars. Is what you're saying, right? Yeah. So over the past nine quarters, um, on a gap basis, Salesforce nine quarters. That's what a uh, couple years, two and a half years. Salesforce lost at least seven hundred twenty-seven million dollars. No quarter was profitable. Uh, the, let's see. Um, the company is not sustained by its money losing business. The company has projected a further gap loss of approximately $200 million over the next three quarters. A Salesforce's business strategy has been an attempt to produce a product, which is all things to all people. Uh, so I skipped a bunch of how they're talking about how Salesforce is in SaaS and IaaS and PaaS and all that, and how it's all gotten, gotten really competitive. Uh, to this end, it has requ- acquired more than a dozen companies to enhance its original uh, customer relation management software. These include Assistly, Prior Knowledge, Radian 6, Buddy Media, Cloud Connect, Pard, Pardo, <laughs> Pardot, Pardot. Uh, Relate IQ, and the largest purchase, Exact Target. These acquisitions and others, which are which almost uh, all not yet profitable startups, so they're yeah, none of them were really profitable. Um, le- have left a mark on Salesforce's balance sheet. Yeah, but those uh, are all, those are all acquisitions to kind of grow or, or service specific needs. Yeah, but they were, they're but they're buying money losing operations, so they're, they're just adding to their losses by buying those companies. I don't know. They're increasing I, their losses. I think, I think some of the marketing tools they've, they've bought is, is, you know, exact target and things is still helping them out. I mean, it's, it's a marketing system. If, if, and I don't know if exact target was making, but what if exact target was losing, let's say a hundred million dollars a quarter and mm-hmm. you buy them, they're still going to be losing a hundred million dollars a quarter. You still have that problem. You've got to fix. See what I'm saying? I mean, yes, it, it adds, it adds to Salesforce's revenue, but it increases their losses even more. Anyway, um, well, assuming that the, the loss trend sticks, I mean, I don't well, know. I, I guess there's a point to be made it, there. It, I just, I just think that the acquisition loss trend clearly has stuck. I mean, Salesforce is just like losing. I mean, they're not losing more money. They're actually like with this, with these, with this release today, they're, they've slightly trimmed their losses a little bit, but they still have, they're, they're projected to lose, you know, what is it? 200 something million over the next less than a year. So, but anyway, they're saying these acquisitions, um, they're a huge cost and they contribute to Salesforce to making the Salesforce product more costly to produce than the company is able to charge customers. So if you look at the numbers, Salesforce with all the acquisitions and, and, and Salesforce does have a very broad product offering. And maybe, I mean, you could have that argument. It's too broad. They're doing too much. It costs more to run all that than they, than they can charge for licenses. So but Salesforce that, sells that you almost seems like it's assuming that the, the cost of each one of these features is all wrapped into one single subscription, but it's not. I mean, each one of those requires a separate license, which has its own. I, I know, John, but if you it. add up all those licenses, all that revenue, that's the point. They, they can't charge enough, whether, no matter whether you're buying an exact target license or just a Salesforce license or whatever, you add all that up. They cannot charge enough to pay for what it costs to run all those operations. And again, you know, they're still, they're still working on consolidating, I'm sure, and, and integrating a lot of these services. Well, I think and, that's going to be the key is their ability to consolidate and, you know, bring these into the fold so that it's not yeah. run as a separate application, separate instance with a separate team. Right. But that's really hard. And so that's, I think, what's a big question mark. It's always hard to integrate these products and acquisitions. I, I, I really have a love-hate relationship with, with acquisitions like these because, yeah, you get, you get the team and you get the technology um, and maybe some IP out of it. Um, but if, if you're not integrating, if you're not taking that service and ingraining it into your current integration, you, you basically just have a, you, you've, it's hard to express it, but it's, it's, yeah, it you, should add value. I mean, it should be, it's not just to add two, the addition of the value of that feature. It's, it's a matter of making it a, a true part of your organization where it's, you know, it's, it's, it's another feature of the system. I mean, I think about Oracle and all the tools or even Microsoft, you have all these different acquisitions and tools, but you have to cobble them together to get them all to work together because nothing just, it's not integrated to where it's just seamless or talks together. Right. And I know uh, that's difficult. I know that's hard. That takes a lot of reengineering and that, that just kind of blows up the whole acquisition model in terms of, you know, ROI and benefit, but. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so this says there's another problem with this business model. Um, not every customer wants to pay for each product and, you know, or each product enhancement. Um, this leaves the company charging an outdated and insufficient price for its product. 
or it saddles the company with outsized sales and marketing expense derived from attempting to retain or add customers. That's what we were just talking about. Um, Salesforce has long intimated that it could significantly improve margins by reducing sales and marketing expenses when it reaches some targeted scale. But so far as revenue sur- surpassed an annual run rate of $5 billion, it still has failed to demonstrate this. I'm, I'm really concerned about their selling and marketing costs. I'm not so much. I mean, have you looked at their selling and market as percentage of their, Well, we've talked GDP? about it and we've yeah, taken guesses at the numbers and yeah, it's a huge number, but I mean, it, it, it is what it is. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Dreamforce is a big factor in that, but even you, you agreed that they're probably making money off Dreamforce, right? Which, which again makes the the fact that they're selling a marketing dollar, you know cost is weighing them down so much is it makes it even more scarier. Like I could understand if Dreamforce didn't make money, they were losing, but they're actually you know let's say they're not losing money on Dreamforce. I mean they still they still have this selling expenses cost that's you know seems out of whack. So this leaves the, this leaves them one option: raise prices. You know, Google, Amazon, all these guys have been in this, and especially with um, IBM now, SoftLayer, and what's uh, Microsoft, Azure, like they're in this price war, right? You know, you've been reading about this and hearing about. I mean, they've just they've been cutting prices left and right. It's really actually it's forced Amazon to react and lower. So Amazon is like no longer the low cost player. They're having to react to price cuts from Google, um, Salesforce. Uh, I get what is this? Salesforce and other competitors are following suit. So for Salesforce, this appears to be not an option. Um, these guys are in agreement that Salesforce is meaningfully, you know, overvalued. Um, so now, what is the likely catalyst that will verify our thesis and make shorting Salesforce a sound course of action? So um, each Salesforce quarterly earnings report brings the possibility that investors will recognize something and awakens them to the notion that this company is a doubtful investment. Um, Salesforce has announced it will release its quarterly earnings today. Um, here are the potential catalysts supporting a short thesis. Cash balances are diminished, and I don't even know. I didn't look at their. I don't know what their cash balance looked like. Um, shareholders exhaust their patience with dilution, um, or uh, earnings, revenue, or guidance disappoints. So that three didn't happen. I don't think they really disappointed. They came in pretty much in line, a little, little over. I don't so much. I mean, going back to that, to the to the point of the price point, I'm not sure I agree with that. I mean, yeah, the other guys are, are kind of cutting prices and things to try and compete, but I mean, what's what's the value you're getting from those systems as compared to the the platform that you get with Salesforce? Well, it's not really a, unless you're comparing. So this, I don't know why I mean, even Salesforce, if, even if when you put, I mean, why put Amazon up against Salesforce? They provide two different services. Well, you wouldn't. That's why I'm saying it's weird how Salesforce, I mean, Salesforce likes to get lumped into any of this cloud stuff to, to them. Any, any of that is good. Any association with a cloud is good. And so they get lumped into this, to the IaaS thing, which I don't know why, because I mean, they, they do run an IaaS, but it's their own and, and they don't sell it directly. Like you can only get, you know, you could, they don't, they don't sell IaaS to customers, but they do have pass. I guess Heroku is considered their pass. And then their SaaS is, is everything else. It's the Salesforce product. And I guess, so. I guess I'd never see Salesforce being compared to other CRM vendors. They're always compared to vendors like Google and Amazon and, and, but that's because that's again that's that's Salesforce's choice. They always say they're the cl- you know they're their cloud and their platform as a service and they're and they're you know all, they're, they that's where they want to be. That's who they want to be compared against. And of course, the media. What does the media do? They just they're uh, they, they get right in line and they they do what Salesforce asks. They compare Salesforce to all these other cloud vendors. I don't know why. Because you're right. They it would be much better to compare them to Microsoft in terms of CRM. But again, right. again, that naturally leads you to, well, what about, what about Azure? You know, how do they, how does Salesforce compare? I mean, it's, I don't know, the, the lines are blurry between these things. Uh, so Salesforce also, you know, of course they're um, extending their, their data center operations. So three new data centers in Europe and more in Japan and Canada. Those are major expenses, right? Um, let's see. Oh, and also moving their headquarters in San Francisco. So that's going to be, you know, just big, huge moving costs. So. Salesforce Tower. Yeah. And they're even though, I mean, they're just renting space, but just the, the move, I mean, that'll, I guess that'll just be expensive. Um, you know, I don't think there's any imminent danger of Salesforce, you know, going away, but it's man, at, at some point it's like, when are they going to, or can they, can they, can they at some point stop chasing growth and start working on, you know, the bottom line? Yeah. I mean, I think this article had some really good points and I think there were other parts of it. I just think we're not fair, but I guess the, the big question is whether or not Salesforce can be profitable, whether if they stop the growth, if they stop the acquisitions, whether or not their business model 
can actually be sustained. I mean, yeah, and, and know, does that does that put them as a prime candidate for acquisition? Yes. Or does so, that hurt their acquisition chances that maybe their model isn't sustainable? I again, and I, of course, I had the theory that I think Oracle might buy, come back and buy Salesforce at some point. But I, I think. I don't think that's out of the question. Do you think there's that, any company that wouldn't want Salesforce still? You think Amazon, Google, or not? maybe not Google, but um, Microsoft and Oracle? It depends on at what price. That's the thing. I mean, because Salesforce is this conglomeration of, of companies that weren't making any money. So it's like, if, if it was at the right price, maybe you could make it work. And you know, like, you know, when Oracle bought Siebel, I mean, they paid 10% of what, uh, what Siebel's uh, highest stock price was. They had come off that their value had dropped that much. So I don't know. I mean, again, I, you know, if Salesforce does, if, if their revenue curves, that's the only thing that's kept them, uh, kept their stock price where it is, is the, is the revenue uh, growth. If that starts to flatten off, their stock price is going to tank. And then they're, then they become a strong acquisition target. And I have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, It's fun. It's fun to talk about though. Yeah. uh, Just think of all the acquisitions and, how many different initiatives Salesforce has? I mean, it really is mind-boggling. I can't imagine. I mean, you know, when you hear interviews with Mark, I mean, he really, he really manages the business at such a high level. Now, that's why he can say he manages his business from his phone, because really, his only job really is just to, to kind of just to talk to people and hire the best people and give them high-level ideas and give them initiatives at a very high level. Here's a concept. Go do this. Right. That's his. They have so many pieces. That's kind of where he has to operate now. Yeah. And actually there, there's actually a recent article on Forbes that talks about that, how he uh, it, it's, it's the, the article's titled Salesforce innovation secrets. And it, it's really all about how Banyoff basically comes up with the idea, puts some people he trusts on that idea and says, figure it out. Um, and at, to date, that seems to be very successful. That seems to be, working for them because the, the people he has in those positions are, are actually excelling at that and enjoy that, that type of management where they get to kind of build this product, this feature. Um, and maybe that's why we have so many different clouds, you know, cause we don't have a single vision. We have a lot, well, we have a single overall vision, but I think, you know, each one of these different products and everything's are owned by an individual. They're conceived and, and kind of advanced by, by a different mindset. Right. Cause there's a difference between vision and, and reality. Right. Right. I mean, the vision, Mark's good at the vision, right? I mean, I think his vision is solid. It's just can what he can what his vision is be implemented in, in a reasonable amount of time with a reasonable amount of money. And and you meant the comment a minute ago, like you know, these seem like they've, they've been pretty successful this so far. Well, in, in what by what measure? If if by financial, then then no, um, they're they're in the red. So they've, I mean, they're above. They're they're still alive, right? But. They well, haven't I mean, shown, they haven't I mean, shown yeah, that they're going to make we have business some misses. We have yet. some misses, definitely. But I mean, we have, you know, love or hate, we have Visual Force, we have Apex Pages, we have that whole system of designing custom interfaces within that. It's not just a point and click, you know, this is what you get. Um, obviously, we'd like it to be better. But I mean, that that's 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 been a great offer and that's been a success. I mean, you have the breakdown of all the different clouds, the, the service cloud and all those kind of things. Um, I mean, they're going strong. I mean, that they're not... They're not the best of the best. Um, I would like them to be, but I'd say that, that their success on that kind of thing has been pretty well. Uh, Chatter, yeah. I mean, I don't really like Chatter, but there are people out there using it and using it for more things. I mean, yep. it, I, I, I'm surprised. I come into a, to an organization and find out that they're using Chatter and they love it. Yep. I mean, I understand all that, and I, I agree with you. I mean, they they do have a lot of good products, and of course, you know, there's some that we would like to see changes too, but they, they, they've either produced in-house or have acquired lots of value, you know, but the, the, the bottom line is though, if, you know, if you're paying Salesforce 150 bucks a month, but it's costing them $200 every month to deliver you that service, then, then they're not successful yet. Something's got to change eventually. Well, and, the flip side is that of that is your CTO and you know, it's going to cost you $200 a month to, to roll this on your own and why not pay Salesforce so they can take the loss. Or, or you have alternative vendors that are, um, that you get more value from or right. Uh, are there, I, I don't mean, know. Can Microsoft compete with Salesforce right now? We're, we're, we're going to see over the yeah. years. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying, right? I mean, they're putting up a good fight. So, well, I mean, right now they're, they're basing it on price point though. And again, my biggest problem with, with Microsoft, 
Well, and that's becoming my problem with Salesforce as well with all their acquisitions is they're not integrating. I mean, I, I, you go into Salesforce and you have Pardot enabled and you got this really ugly section built in, you know, Visual Force section into your screen. It's not integrated. It's still this separate piece of application that's got a separate look and feel that's running its own thing. Um, there's a lot of features like that that were acquisitions that still still maintain their own identity. Right. Uh, and that's frustrating to me. Yep. But that's the kind of stuff. It, it, just, it does take time. And even though Salesforce is, you know, spending a billion dollars a month, that is actually not enough to do all the things they're trying to do. <laughs> they, it takes more than that, which is, which is interesting. Yeah, but yeah, I think, again, I think integrating these, especially with as many as they've done. It just, is it, is it a damned if you do damned if you don't? I mean, if you moved a lot of that marketing into R and D to be able to do a lot of the things that, that we say that we'd like to see, or that we, we really would like to have, do they end up just losing business because they're not part of the conversation? Yeah. I don't know. So I have a hard stop, which I didn't realize until I got texted. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll end it there then. <laughs> I, that was a good, com- I think that was a good conversation about the finance thing. And we, it might, it might bore people. I don't know, but I think it's interesting at least, you know, every few months just to look at how Salesforce is doing and see what's happening because it, it matters. All right. If you're listening to this and you're on Twitter, Tweet whether or not that was boring or not. And if you need Jeremy to, to kind of jump up and down and hoot and holler like, uh, what's his name? Kramer, let us know. And I'll make that sure. That would be he... amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you are listening and you are on Twitter, you know, promote us. Let us know. Let us know oh. what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. Feedback. Uh, I'm not sure I want to know. Yeah, you do. <laughs> All right. Well, I got to go. All right. Good day, sir. Good day, sir. It was just an awesome, awesome, awesome quarter. I came here to kick some, chew some gum and kick some asses. I'm all out of gum. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know? Uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing.